Yo, yo, yo. Yo. I'm just thinking that I, I'm a little bit embarrassed. I think I start every episode with yo, yo, yo. And now I'm like, do I need a new phrase? Or is it too late? <laughs> Has this become a catchphrase? <laughs> Are people getting bored by me opening this podcast the same way every time? But how's it going? Uh, Good, man. Good. Nice. Yeah. Did you? Mm-hmm. Uh, been been learning Rust. How do you like Rust? I actually had it open a couple of uh, minutes ago on the uh, with the um, course that I was going through. How am I liking it? I, uh, I I I like it, but I feel I feel dumb with it. That's that's my issue right now. And uh, it is definitely most- a different beast. Yeah, and I I wasn't even sure if I was gonna mention this because I don't know I had a pretty embarrassing week with it. I just been going through the course and I've had like ah moments, you know, and and then just completely shattered a couple of minutes later by by things. Yeah. It's, uh, that- then and then today I realized uh, that I have never. Let me just hold on. Hmm. I say, yeah, I say I have never really dived deep into a strict static type and compiled language. Oh, interesting. So, like the combination of them or neither of them, like neither statically typed nor compiled? Like the combination of of both. Because that, that makes it, that makes it different than, having either or you know what i mean yeah uh so i i just i have been so i did i did learn and and touched a little bit of swift which is kind of like the same thing yeah uh kind of in terms of speaking with uh in the realm of static type and compile uh but i just i feel so dumb now i mean uh i i was going through like the ownership and borrowing concepts of rust and i was going through them and i i I was like okay at first i didn't get it and then i got it and then i thought i got it and then i didn't then i uh yeah um yeah that it's in in its entirety like i understand the concept of like managing these pointers and managing your memory and when to like actually borrow or like you know when to actually reference rather than take ownership so i i get that i get that now to to implement that is like what i'm i'm having trouble with like for i'll, I'll just give my embarrassment whatever i already embarrassed myself that's fine let's just let's just go all the way so so i'm going through the course and uh this guy like i told you is building a like a small server in rust so he goes and and you know you start using the TCP uh, uh, library and you know starting with the port and and just starting the the whole loop, and then obviously next step is parsing your HTML, uh, HTTP request right. So yeah. he starts going with the initial line like the beginning that um, um, the initial request, which is just essentially well, there's like a, a lot to it, but essentially it's just the method, the path. And your your protocol, right? Yeah. So he gets this gets this one line, and he's trying to he 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 wants to get each the method, the path, and the protocol. So he 
he creates this method to this method. What it does is it, it returns a tuple. Yeah. So it, it gets, it takes in a string slice and, and then it returns a tuple with the first item in the tuple with two items in the tuple. First item being the, the first, how do, how, so the first string uh, before a space, right? Yeah. So when you run this once, when you run this with the first time, uh, when you initially get this this string, you will get the method, and then the second item in the tuple will be the remainder part of the the request. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So then you run this method again, and it gives you the path, and it returns the next thing, and then you run it one more time, and it gives you the protocol, and then nothing, right? Yeah, uh, this was so okay. this, by the way. So I'm um, I'm looking at this, and I'm like, surely there must be a way to give the this method or give a another method the whole path, and it returns a tuple with all three items. Yeah, like I don't need to run this three times. Surely there must be a way. So I started looking into how to split this string and getting the first item and the second item and the third item. I failed miserably, even on like Google. Yeah. I'm like, but, is there a way to do this? Like, the, like, what am I actually passing here? Am I passing an actual string or am I passing a string slice? Like, yeah. it was such a mess. I got so frustrated and I felt like I, I have been learning nothing. And and But this is also like, this is one of the, I think, hardest areas of Rust because they, and I would say they do strings right, but by doing strings right, they create a lot of issues when you come from other languages. Mm -hmm. Because... One of the things that I it took me forever to figure out how to work with this is that a string is not um, kind of an array of characters, but of Unicode uh, code points. Yeah. So you can't actually do a lot of things with strings in Rust that you can in like any other language because it's not it's not kind of indexed on characters, but really on like Unicode code points. Which could mean if you look at like your actual underlying string that like you have actually like two in quotation mark characters that form like one Unicode character in, in your string. If you look mm -hmm. at the slice. So an emoji, for example, is like wider than a normal character. Yeah. But that also means that like all of these, like what you would do in Ruby is like string dot s chars dot <laughs> map yeah. and then just do it. It just doesn't work in Rust the same way. And like dealing with the strings, the string slices, characters, and unicodes is just, it's a lot to kind of ask if you're learning the language. Yeah. So, yeah, my kind of my, my feedback would be like, don't feel stupid. I think, especially like ownership and strings, I think those are like the two things that are super confusing if you come with knowledge from other languages. Mm -hmm. And the ownership is, it eventually clicks and makes sense, but it is definitely, I think, maybe the hardest part in Rust to learn. But it's also the one that once you feel more comfortable with it, makes the language like the most interesting uh, to use, I think, because this is really where it's kind of memory safety comes in. And to kind of give a little bit of an outlook, if I look at the work that I did this week with like the game engine, it's so mm -hmm. fascinating what kind of parallelism it can do because it knows at compile time who owns what piece of data. 
And it yeah. opens up so many interesting opportunities for optimization where it can essentially split work into parallel chunks because it knows where two different parts of the system need to access like the same piece of data. And this is just mind blowing. Like once it clicks, it's really interesting kind of what you can do with it. But yeah, Rust definitely has an interesting learning curve. And I think especially oh, if yeah, you are used to other languages, it can be a little bit frustrating because yeah, it makes you feel like the biggest noob so many times. <laughs> oh, I'm there. And I'm there. yeah, I like I remember feeling exactly the same. I remember sitting in a train and reading the Rust book and trying the examples and getting compile errors and yeah, being so frustrated because even like I couldn't get the examples to work. But yeah, it will get better. And then it's a lot of fun. And I'm still like, I'm still yeah. a complete novice in the language. Like, I don't want to sound like I know what I'm doing. I'm just, you know, what seven things to try if I get an error and one of them usually works. So, yeah. Yeah. I'll get there. I, I was thinking about this after that as well. When I, when I started feeling down, I was like, okay, this kind of happened. This same thing with, a, with obviously in, in, uh, with different concepts and different parts of, being different languages with Elixir when I was learning it, it definitely happened sort of the same thing. So I, I'm just hoping it gets better because it was, it was very, very uh, disappointing yesterday yeah. when, cause I thought, you know, the thing was that I thought I was ready cause I saw it and I was like, surely there's a better way to do this. I, I can just Google it two seconds and find the right, find the right methods and be able to, to accomplish what I want to accomplish and do this more efficiently. And I just, I gave it one go and, failed miserably yeah and, and now like i said like strings in rust are def definitely like a beast it's yeah it really refer like requires like a reset of everything that you've learned because yeah the normal functions or the normal approaches that you would take just don't apply to rust um the same yeah. way so i love though i love that i'm learning so much in terms yeah. of like more of the low level uh aspect of, of the you know of, of software and more on the because i mean there's stuff here that i've 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 been learning because you know you need to despite saying like oh it's the phrase is like oh like rust is a it's a higher what is it like high level syntax on like a lower level language or whatever yeah. i don't so I, I definitely see the concepts that you need to learn still while having like higher level syntax yeah yeah, I think what I really like about it that it makes a lot of things explicit that in other languages are implicit, especially around like how mm -hmm. you use memory. And learning that, yeah. I feel like just makes me a better programmer in general because suddenly I'm aware of exactly. the cost of copying data around and these kind of things. And in Rust, you exactly do have to like think about this. Yeah, it, it just it makes it more explicit and gives you, yeah, it makes it clear when something is like an expensive operation and when it might be cheap. But you have to think about like what do I actually need and when do I use what and yeah. Exactly, I, I that's exactly my feeling. Yeah. yeah, but I'm good. I'll get there. What about you? Sound looked and sounded like you had a very successful week. Uh in parts, yeah. I it took forever, so there were days where I also felt like completely stupid, and then there were days where I just forced myself to like continue until I had a breakthrough. Yeah, I had a pretty good week, actually. Um, so 
we've been talking a little bit about like the tech stack that we want to use for the game. And in a moment of feeling rebellious, I kind of went against that plan and like removed everything essentially and started with just a Rust game engine. And I think this is like the best decision long term because it has some like interesting perks. Like previously we were discussing like building a front end and React and having like a game server written on Rust and having an API between the two and especially for now when we start just work on like a single player experience anyway since yeah let's be honest like we will not have multiplayer from the beginning and there's so many things we need to build uh, in the first place it's just easier to iterate um, if everything is kind of contained in one package Mm -hmm. the other part of this is that having this like i was initially thinking about how i can run the same code or the same logic on the back end and on the front end because if you want to, for example, if I want to move a unit, I need to calculate on the back end where the unit is to figure out like what events I should send to the to the player or whether or not certain actions are actually valid. Like if your unit is, I don't know, moving, maybe it cannot at the same time attack someone. I don't know. There might be some conditions. So I need to do like this calculation on the back end anyway. And then on the front end, I need to do exactly the same because I want to visualize how the unit is moving. Like I need to animate the movement and show that your unit is moving from like one coordinate to like another over the map. So if both systems require essentially the same logic, maybe for different reasons, but they still require the same logic, why not just build it out in like the same um, environment so that you don't need to re-implement everything twice? So this is where I was coming from a little bit. And like the more I dabbled with this, the better I feel about this decision. Nice. And then the the other thing that I kind of set out to do, like we're kind of in our first cycle that we didn't really shape, to be honest. So it's a little bit spontaneous exploration and readjustments <laughs> of goals. But I really wanted to like dive deeper into the game engine and then figure out how I can kind of hook up an API to this. Since and like this is where I see the biggest kind of problem for us, um, and I'm happy to talk through a few of the specifics, but I didn't anticipate this when I started. But running the server inside a game engine has some interesting implications for our API, and this all boils down to like the way how the game engine works internally, and that is it has a loop that it runs a certain number of times per second. So by default, it runs with 60 hertz. So 16, uh, 60 times per second, it will run this loop. And in this loop, it will do all the things that it does. Like you can um, create systems and the systems are essentially just functions that then get executed uh, 60 times per second. And each function uh, operates on some data. So for example, you can have a movement system and that checks whether or not a unit is currently moving and with, with uh, like with what speed and then it calculates like the next position for the unit and it does that 60 times per second. Yeah. The interesting thing is, so I set up the, I would say rather new bevy engine in Rust and I'm hoping I pronounce the name correctly as a non- native speaker. I hope it's pronounced Bevy, but I could be wrong. 
And it's actually really interesting. Like, uh, it took a long time to kind of research like Rust game engines. And I think there are like a few really big ones. Um, Piston is like the oldest one that has been around forever and was maybe one of like the most, like the earliest like serious Rust projects. Amethyst seems to be the one that has in the last few years really uh, kind of dominated kind of the, yeah. the scene. And it's really interesting, has a lot of features. And then there's Bevy, which is rather new. And there's a really good kind of blog post from the creator of Bevy on why he created it and where it differentiates itself from uh, from Amethyst. And I think that aligns really well, like his goals for the engine and his perspective on especially Amethyst aligns really well with what kind of we want to achieve. And Bevy has a few really interesting features, one of which is that it has a UI kit built into the engine. So creating UI, like a UI is part of the engine. And it's the goal of the creator is that Bevy eventually become both kind of, or it will be a game engine, but there will also be an editor written in Bevy to nice. build like scenes and these kind of things. That's all. And man. I really hope that happens. Yeah, like that's definitely the, the goal. And um, the creator is really about like dog fooding his own product. So Bevy will be, yeah, we'll run the editor and then all the UI will be written in Bevy as well. So this is why like the UI kit is so important for him since it's not just a game engine, but it's like an app platform in a way. And I think that's really nice for us since we do need an UI as well. And then it's like one thing taken care of. The other one is that he's like really all in on Rust and Amethyst is currently exploring like scripting languages as well, for example, which we just don't need. So kind of reading through this blog post, I felt like, hey, this is a good choice for us. It's kind of well aligned with what we have in mind. Only downside is, and I cannot stress this enough, it has been released like two months ago, maybe. It's in version 0.1.3. Yeah, I saw The that. recommendation is to just track GitHub because there are more bug fixes on Git than on the released version. Yeah. So it's super early and um, there are a lot of things that just don't really work yet. The good news is that the creator has enough sponsoring to work full-time on the engine now. So my hope is that it will improve pretty rapidly, but yeah. Anyways, I picked this engine. I kind of set it up in my branch. I experimented a little bit with it. And now we get to like the interesting part with like the engine and gRPC. So the engine has this loop that runs. And mm. what is really nice about Bevy is that it has an entity component system that is highly parallelized because it knows which data um, or which systems require what kind of data. And it can parallelize systems that use different sets of data so that you essentially get like the maximum performance out of it. The issue that I didn't really think about when I set out to do this, but that became super obvious the second I started diving into this, is that the game, of course, owns all the data. But through mm -hmm. our API, we want to query the state of the game. Yeah. But since exactly. Rust has strong like data ownership, we can't just query like the state of the world because that's owned by Bevy. Okay. So... The workaround that I have now is that I actually have a system that runs the kind of this core loop. Like I have the hackiest solution, to be honest. 
there is a there is a gRPC server that runs on its own thread that listens to requests, and you can send a request to that server like anytime. And then what the server does is that it sends an event to the game, mm-hmm. and then the game in its loop. So every sixteen milliseconds, will run through all the queued uh, requests, like all the queued gRPC requests. Yeah. And we'll answer all of them and then kind of go into the next loop. And then the gRPC server will send a response back. Which means that as a client, every request that you send takes at least 16 milliseconds to answer. Because it has to get the request from the gRPC server. No, because it has to wait for the next frame of the game. Oh, okay. And uh, if you don't have that, then a gRPC request with the library takes like 90 nanoseconds, I think. Mm-hmm. And then if I run it with this, it is, I think, like a million times slower or something. Like I ran some benchmarks and it's, I think there was almost a buffer overflow because how much slower it is to run it like within the, the loop. Okay. But I honestly also think there's no better solution to it because we do need that, like we do need the data and the data is only available um, in each tick. Yeah, I remember this was your worried with like other uh, game engines. Yeah, exactly. And there is, and this is again like because Bevy is really, really new. It doesn't have that yet. I'm wondering if we can run um, kind of the API in a, on a much higher frequency than the actual like simulation. Mm-hmm. So we could, for example, say we run like the API with like 360 hertz. And then each request takes, uh, what is it? Takes down like one and a half milliseconds or something. Mm-hmm. But then the question is like, like right now it's not possible to split the two. Like right now you have like one, um, your core loop has like one one frequency and that's it. And on one hand, I'm not sure if it makes sense to really worry about this or if this is just the price we have to pay. Um, because I also I don't have a better solution to be honest. Like I was considering, like, yeah, we we could try to cache data, for example, like write it out into like a, a shared memory or buffer it somewhere, or even put it in like a database. But all of these things would probably take longer than just waiting like ten milliseconds for the next loop. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably. And especially if we can actually like decouple the two, I could imagine that like if we can actually run the API at like 360 hertz, yeah, then like waiting two and a half seconds or, or two and a half milliseconds, that should be fine. Yeah. It is a little bit unfortunate though, because I would have really liked, like it is pretty impressive to just use the gRPC server by itself and see just how fast it can generate responses. It's just mind blowing. Mm-hmm. Like it's such an interesting, like high performance protocol that it's a shame that we're like slowing it down, but I definitely have to check this out. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and see for myself, but it does sound, I, uh, we have no other option right now. I think if we want to, uh, skip, skip a step. Yeah. Like I, oh. I definitely think it makes sense to just continue with this, um, for like the version 0.1, uh, definitely like, is I think the right way to go. And then mm-hmm. then we'll see how it actually feels to do it. And is it a problem from the user perspective and these kind of things? 
Because on the other hand, like the only downside is that if you want to actually query state, then you feel it. But if you want to send a command, like if you want to say, move my unit, it doesn't really matter because the engine will only process that in the next tick anyway. So you're not losing anything by having your request be queued in the first place. Mm -hmm, It's only when you want to get data out where it could be an issue. And if we, this is like my only fears, if we think ahead and like that we want to build, let's say like a high frequency trading marketplace where you can like place orders like like at the stock exchange with like nanoseconds delay and it becomes really important that you can get like the best price then the system might not be good then we might need to build like a second service that just is available for like high frequency trading and then we need to sync that somehow into like the game again but um i think yeah it's for now i think it's the best way to go and for what we have in mind i think it doesn't really matter like your unit should not live or die depending on whether or not you got like your command into the right tick. Like that would feel weird if we built such a like crazily fast game that like milliseconds matter. But let's see how it goes. Yeah. But yeah. So yeah, this has been pretty much my weekend. Uh, it was really fun to kind of explore this. I am at a point now where I can run some, I don't want to say benchmarks, but um i actually set up a benchmarking library and it runs like 600 requests or so and then calculates like the average response time which is pretty nice which ironically or like expectedly is 16 milliseconds so yeah who would have thought um i do want to see and this is like the other concern that i have what happens when you send a lot of like parallel requests because they all need to get queued somehow and I'm not sure if that could not slow down like these 60 hertz. Like how long would it take to queue like 10,000 requests and run through all of them? Because this is what happens to Screeps, the kind of other programming video game. Mm-hmm. There, if you look at the um, their servers that they run, they all have a tick rate of like a few seconds because there's so much stuff they had to calculate each time that they just can't like this is as fast as they go essentially and that might become a different issue for us eventually but i guess we'll cross that bridge when we get there that's so interesting yeah it's fascinating and the thing that really blew my mind so on like the topic of rust a little bit um i find it so interesting like diving into game development because I feel in so many areas, game development is like one step ahead of everyone else. If I look at UX design, like how to actually design like user experiences, the things I've read in the game design community are just mind-blowing. They're so deliberate about how to like create engaging experiences. And if I compare mm-hmm. that with web design, like with how I do web design and UX design and think about like buttons, it feels like you're yeah. We're Stone back age. in like the dark. Yeah, like literally, like we're like throwing dirt on the wall and co- like calling it a painting. Like, yeah, it's so crazy because there's so much, so much thought has been put into like, yeah, really understanding how like um, behavior is driven by the experiences that you have in games. And at least I have not seen like the same level of thought in like other industries. Yeah, and I want to apologize to all my friends who are. UX designers, I sh- sure you know way more about this than I do and probably have thought about these things before. But at least from my perspective, like seeing how, yeah, 
UX is applied in like these simple web apps that we've built, or like not simple, but the web apps that we've built, it always felt like like a rather crude tool. And like just looking at game development, there's so much to learn there. And now diving deeper into like entity component systems, it's really interesting how many like related um, talks I've seen on YouTube this week about data oriented uh, design and data oriented programming. Mm-hmm. Which in many ways feels kind of like the next step from object-oriented design in a way. Hmm. Like, I don't think there's like clear, like ev- evolutionary path, but it's really interesting seeing how many problems are currently being solved by this design. And in particular, Unity, the game engine has uh, built its own entity component system in its engine. And if you read and hear like the testimonials of people who have adopted that for their games, it's crazy how much performance they're getting out of that. Because the beauty of this is really that you can start using parallelization um, in a lot of interesting ways. And the best kind of argument that I've heard is that if we look at Moore's law that says that like performance goes up uh, exponentially every like 18 months or so. Double, yeah. The argument that I that I've now read and it makes a lot of sense is that that might have been true for like CPUs, but memory never kind of followed suit. Memory has always been like slower, and the gap between the two is like constantly increasing. Like CPUs are getting faster, memory stays essentially almost exactly. as fast. That's as why before. they go for CPU for 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 like calculations now rather than memory. But um, the the interesting part or like the interesting argument that they made in this case is that especially with object-oriented design, if you look at how it's laid out in memory, it's like super inefficient if you want to do like a lot of parallel computations. And the beauty Mm -hmm. of ECS or like this data-oriented design is that it allows you to like maximize essentially the data that you get in one when you load data from the memory. And then you can do a lot of like cool parallel stuff with that data and then write it back. And in a time where you cannot make your programs go faster by having faster CPUs, starting to think about this parallelization makes a lot of sense. And it's kind of the only way how you can get significant increases in in performance. And yeah, an ECS or like this data-oriented design is like perfectly aligned with kind of that development where, yeah, we do need to think differently about how we use memory and how we can speed up stuff by um, parallelizing it. Yeah. So diving into this paradigm a little bit has just been, yeah, fascinating in so many respects that it has been a really enjoyable week. I have to check this out. You said it was uh, entity component system. Yeah, exactly. So entity component system. This is pretty much what, like, how this is referred to in game engines. And mm-hmm. then the more generic term that I've heard around this is data oriented design. And then I watched a very good talk that I will definitely link up in the show notes from a conference um, where they talked, like, it was really interesting how Unity uh, started to deploy this. Mm -hmm. Uh, They have a very interesting uh, interesting talk about this. And then there's a fascinating, very long, very in-depth blog post written on two different entity component systems in Rust and how they differ and what the strength and weaknesses of their two approaches are. I need that link. That is fascinating. We'll link both. 
but this was really interesting because okay. it's like I had no idea of what's happening there and it took me probably like two times to read it to like start to get an understanding of how this works because it's really yeah. like a different different uh, world and yeah highly interesting can highly recommend nice that's interesting yeah I'll check it out cool anything else you want to add um no i'm not sure if we uh want to mention what's going on next next couple of weeks um yeah so for me the kind of goal is to continue with like this exploration and get this kind of in a state where it's i want to say in very big quotation marks production ready so that you can start building on it yeah and that's it pretty much for me yeah we're in the first week of a three-week cycle so there are like two more weeks so i feel pretty confident of achieving that goal yeah same here and then but nice all right we'll keep it updated then yeah yeah i'm sure there will be another update next week um i'm sure i'll be yeah. diving deeper into this but yeah <laughs> more exciting things yeah i can't wait to dive into the actual game engine to be honest yeah yeah hopefully i'm not too intimidated no, i think it will be good i think it will be good it is still rust so yeah. that that will be a little bit of a challenge in the beginning but i'm sure you'll uh get accustomed to it fairly quickly yeah hopefully meanwhile I'll keep learning this seeing if it clicks yeah i think that is also a very good goal for the next two weeks oh <laughs> uh, fingers crossed all right okay awesome that's uh that's another week then yeah then good luck learning till next week take care and yeah thanks talk soon talk soon peace